You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. This morning, we're going to uh, have a single message next, well, we always have a single message, Uh, but next week we start a new series and uh, you can pray for us, it is a doozy. We are gonna teach through the book of Judges. I've never taught the book of Judges. I have never actually heard the book of Judges taught. Uh, I, I've, I've heard a message on Gideon and a message on Samson, but it's usually a flannel graph version and not uh, like a moral tale and not really the biblical version. version. This book is a doozy. So you start reading Judges uh, at, right now if you would like and, uh, and pray for your pastors as we delve into a challenging place in Scripture where God's people have completely lost their bearings and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. But we want to talk about this because we think the book of Judges uniquely offers hope in the midst of chaos. And uh, that's sort of where we find ourselves, or at least we found ourselves in 2020. And so we want to find gospel hope in the midst of chaos. But today, I want to talk about a uh, look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew 7. And I want to talk about praying for change, praying for change in 2021. Now, I felt like that was a, uh, a compelling title that even an atheist could get behind. Uh, even atheists are praying for change in 2021, coming out of 2020. Um, and uh, this ministry year, our theme has been praying for change. Our ministry year runs from September through the next August. And so our, our ministry uh, year theme has been praying for change. And uh, so this morning, I want to look at a passage where Jesus talks about prayer in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, and allow this text to sort of um, compel us into the new year. Listen to God's holy word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, This is a passage on prayer, so let's pray. Let's ask and seek and knock as we open the text this morning. Lord, we ask you to open our eyes to you, to who you are, to your character, to your person reflected in this passage. And we pray that you would fill our hearts with hope in you, our good Father who has given your Son to die for us, to give us new life, and has given your spirit to dwell in us and to change us and to lead us to you in prayer. So spirit, would you lead us now through this word um, to the Lord in a fresh way. Open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, prayer is obviously a pretty natural topic, uh, a common topic at the first of each year 
Uh, and so as we go into this uh, next year, I wanted to talk about this, uh, this theme this morning. It's something we've spoken about. We taught through the Lord's Prayer, if you remember, in the fall, and it's something we have emphasized in this new year. And this text that we just read falls in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever delivered. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7, the, the sermon of, of Jesus, the sermon on the mount. And here in this section where he comes uh, to chapter 7, he is addressing sort of two themes in the verses we just read. He is instructing his disciples and us first about persistent prayer, persistent prayer, and secondly, he is addressing us about expectant prayer. So I'd like to talk about both of those. I'd like to talk about persistent prayer I'd like to talk about expectant prayer, and then I'd like to pull it all together at the end. First of all, persistent prayer. This is a very simple message. I'm just going to track with this text very simply, but it's uh, it's simple, but this is a profound passage. Persistent prayer. So Jesus asks his disciples, calls his disciples, really commands his disciples to ask, to seek, and to knock. You notice that in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask is pretty simple. To ask means, I'm tempted to say, well, it means to ask, uh, but it means to request. Ask is a simple request in prayer. To seek perhaps implies a bit more. Seeking implies looking or pursuing. Uh, There's an asking, but there's also a looking to the Lord in prayer. The Bible speaks of seeking the Lord uh, and, and that we are called to seek him. And in seeking him, we are looking for him. We are searching for his provision. We are hunting for his wisdom. We are seeking after him personally. We're seeking the Lord himself. So there's an asking, which is making a request. There is a, uh, a seeking, which is a looking for God and anticipating encountering him. And then there is a knocking. Now, to knock here in prayer, it's a metaphor. A knock is a a picture of standing before a closed door. It, It is a knocking on a closed door to gain access. Maybe we've tried to open a door and cannot, so we are seeking God and we're asking God to open a door for us in some area. This is how we pray when we, we don't see anything happening. We're, we're knocking uh, for the Lord to respond, to hear, and to respond, to, to open the door for us while we are waiting for God to act. We are knocking. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, while each of these have to do with prayer, there seems to be a progression to this. There's a progression from asking from seeking and from knocking. One, one author gave an illustration uh, about what it means to ask, seek, and knock about a toddler and uh, the toddler's mom. Now, in the illustration, the mom doesn't represent God in this illustration. It's an illustration about asking and about seeking and about knocking, which is us represented by the toddler. So at any rate, uh, the author said it's sort of like this. If a toddler uh, is sitting down playing and all of a sudden begins to call out, Mom, Mom, I need you. Can you help me, please? Mom, that's asking. Well, if there's no response, the toddler gets up, and the toddler begins to walk around and search for Mom. Mom, 
where are you? Mom, did you hear me? I need help. And begins to look around and try to pursue mom. Where is mom? And then comes knocking because at the end of the hunt, after the toddler has searched the entire house, there's a door. It's the bathroom door, and it's locked. And the toddler goes and bangs on the door. Mom, are you in there? Don't you hear me calling? Can you come out and help me? It's a picture of prayer. It's asking, it's seeking, and it's knocking. It's also a tribute to all moms of toddlers who long for a moment alone during the day. Well, there's one more key grammatical feature of this ask, seek, knock sequence that would have been more obvious to the original readers than it is to us. The Greek verbs here used for ask, seek, and knock, it's commonly pointed out that they are verbs that uh, indicate a continuous or continual action. So, uh, what he's saying here is to ask and to continue to do that. Continue asking, to seek and to continue seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. That, that's what he's saying to us about prayer. Jesus is, in other words, advocating a consistency, not only a progression, perhaps, from ask and seek and knock, but also a persistence, a, 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 a doggedness, a determination, a continuance. Now, why does he say this? Is God, is God saying to us, like, show me how badly you really want it? You've got to want it. Is God some motivational speaker saying, show me how much you want it, and then I'll answer? Or does God have some kind of quota? Okay, okay, keep asking, asking, and after the 154th request, then I'll answer. Is there a prayer quota or something like that? Why does he say this? Well, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, what you find throughout the whole thing uh, is that we are people who are deeply in need. And God's call to continual prayer is a recognition of our need. We are called to persistent prayer because we live in persistent need. And if you read the entire Sermon on the Mount, we taught through this a couple years ago, if you read through the entire Sermon on the Mount and you realize when he comes to this place in the Sermon, it is so obvious that we need God. He has been laying out a vision for what it's like to live in the kingdom under the king, kingly rule of Lord Je the Lord Jesus. And he is calling us to an expansive uh, vision for our lives where we are, where he says th an upside down kingdom where things like blessed are those who are poor in spirit, where we are called to forgive our enemies where Jesus tells us that to be angry with another person is like murdering them in our hearts, or to be lustful after another person is like committing adultery in our hearts. He tells us never to worry or be anxious, but to trust God who provides for the birds, who clothes the, the, the flowers of the field, and will, will surely take care of us. So he's called us to this life that is, well, it's impossible 
And as you read it through, you just realize how much, how, how great is my need to live a life that is about God's kingdom purposes, that is glorifying and honoring to him, that is a life of kingdom flourishing, the way we were created to live life in love, following Jesus and loving our neighbor. When you read of this calling, it is clear that we are needy. The point of ask, seek, knock is not that God is reluctant, it is that we are needy. And he calls us to ever be aware of our need for him, to recognize him as our source. He's calling us here into relationship with him, to look, to seek, to knock, to ask, to to look to him, to actively provide all that we need in our lives. And so to do so by living a life of continually looking to him, not looking to him only when we have a pressing need, but looking to him in all of life. For all of life is to be prayed. That's really the idea behind this. I read a story about Martin Luther, the the great German reformer of the 16th century. And uh, Luther, ever looking for a teachable moment, was once uh, at his table where he, uh, over meals, did teaching. And um, he was at his table, and his puppy was there at his feet. And the puppy was looking up for a morsel of food from Luther's table. And he looked down at the puppy, and the puppy is open-mouthed looking at him. And he, he described him as his eyes were watching, focused, motionless, looking at Luther. Luther looked down at the dog and made this point. Oh, if only I could pray the way this dog watches the meat. All his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. Otherwise, he has no thought, no wish, or no hope. I thought about calling the sermon praying like a dog. (laughs) But I thought, well, you would have to hear the illustration to appreciate. But that's what he's saying The dog is looking to Luther as my source. Maybe you don't remember anything about this sermon today. Well, I hope you remember the text. But after the text, remember this. Pray like a dog. Don't pray like a cat. (laughs) We had a lot of controversy in 2020, and I don't want to start 2021 with more controversy like dog people and cat people. (laughs) That's bigger than Republican, Democrat, I think, or anything else. Cats just sort of nonchalantly look back. Yeah, maybe I need you. Maybe I don't. Dog is, ah, pray like a dog looking to the Lord for all things. So he's talking here about asking, seeking, knocking. And in the context of the whole thing is laying out this this incredible, glorious vision of life, the way it was intended to be lived, but is impossible to live uh, on our own. We need Uh, the forgiveness of Christ where we have failed and we need the indwelling power of the Spirit as God, having saved us, makes us more and more like his Son. But Jesus does more than motivate us by our need. He also motivates us with sweet promises. There are six promises in two verses. Verse 7, ask and the promise, it will be given to you. Seek and the promise, you will find. Knock and the promise, it will be opened to you. 
And then repeat it in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. There it is again. The one who seeks finds. And the one who, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So he is making uh, a promise. He's making promises here. Not only in context are we to pray because we're in need, but, but God motivates us by the promise that he hears prayer. And he answers what we ask for. He, he is found when we seek, and he opens the door when we knock. So he motivates us here with this vision that God uh, will respond, this assurance that he gives us. Now, it would be wrong to walk away at this point uh, in the passage, just looking at verses 7 and 8, and assume that the main point is pray harder and pray more and God will give you what you want. I don't think that is the main point. As, as a matter of fact, I don't even think the main point is about asking and seeking and knocking. I don't even think that's the main point. Jesus is not a prayer guru that's teaching some type of technique, the ask, seek, knock method. No, that's us, the modern church, that would take that and sell merch in the lobby with the ask, seek, prayer method, you know, uh, and would try to market that or something. No, Jesus is not teaching a prayer technique. He is showing us the grace of God who will give good things to those who ask him. The focus is not, as we get into verses 9 through 11, the focus is not on how we pray. The focus is on the one to whom we pray. And that's where we transition. He starts with this, this process, this heart attitude of ask, seek, knock. Uh, we see our need. We hear these promises. But then he shares this illustration of a child asking his father for something and we see that God calls us to expectant prayer. Expectant, not only to be persistent, but to be expectant. Verse 9, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Here, Jesus is revealing what is something we can be familiar with, but something that is astounding. The sort of matchless privilege that we have to know the creator of the universe, the holy God who rules over everything, to know him and to approach him and to talk with him and to ask him as our father. And what Jesus does here is he uses an argument, we could say, from the lesser to the greater. He, he contrasts earthly fathers with the perfect heavenly father. And he uses this very natural illustration to say, how much more is your heavenly father, how much greater is he than any earthly father that we could know? So he says... If you're an earthly father and your son asks you for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. If, you're, if your kid is hungry and he asks for something to eat, some bread, you wouldn't sort of trick him and give him a rock and say, chomp on this kid or something like that. You would never do that. If your kid has a legitimate need and hunger's a legitimate need, you would feed him. And he says if he asks for a fish, 
I don't know if your kids ask for a fish, maybe a fish stick, I don't know. But if they ask for a, a fish, will you give him a serpent? That is, if he's hungry and has a need and ask, would you do something instead that would harm? Would you put your child in harm? Would you trick your child in that way by giving him a snake, a serpent which could do damage to him? The boy is hungry. You wouldn't do something harmful to him. And we read that. And our immediate thought is, of course I wouldn't do that. Of course I wouldn't do that. I'm a good dad. I'm a decent person. I'm a loving parent. Uh, Jesus says something different. He says, if you who are evil, (laughs) Jesus says, "No, no, you're evil. He's not saying that you would give your kid a snake to harm him. He's saying, based on the righteousness that is revealed in the Sermon on the Mount, Based on the perfect righteousness of God compared to the flawless perfection of the holy God of the universe, uh, the, the, the one who is blazing in his holiness, the one whose glory, the emanating light that comes from our perfect God would incinerate us were we to be exposed to him outside of the, the blood of Christ This holy God who has never had an impure thought, an impure motive, an unrighteous word, a sinful deed, this holy God, compared to him, everyone is evil. Now, there's maybe a range of sin in our lives, but everybody, compared to the holiness of God, qualifies as evil. And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you, you see that, that there is a perfection that is called for, which none of us match up to. So he says here, it almost reads as just matter of fact, if you who are evil know how to do this good thing. He's not saying you would harm your child. Yes, you love your child. Yes, you do good things to your, for your children. Even if you're not a believer in Christ, you're created in the image of God. And even those who don't believe are stamped with the image of God and have this kind of Uh, this kind of heart of loving their children by common grace. So Jesus says, hey, look, this says something that's a bombshell in our culture, right? You're an evil person, but you wouldn't hurt the child you love. How much more would the perfect father, this great gap between us and God, how much more would the perfect father of indescribable love the sinless God of absolute mercy, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? He's not like an earthly father, the best of which are sinful. He's something so much more. He's a heavenly Father. Jesus calls us to ask, to seek, to knock before our loving Father who always gives Good gifts. That's what it says here. Your Father who is in heaven, how much more will he give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this is admittedly a hard concept for some of us, and we always point this out when we talk about the fatherhood of God because it's, it's, it's so rooted in the ministry of Christ uh, that he relates to God as Father. But it's a, hard, it's a hard word for some of us to get around because perhaps you uh, had a very difficult or have a very difficult relationship with your earthly father. So the, the analogy breaks down for you experientially. Uh, maybe you have very little, maybe you don't have a poor relationship, maybe you have no relationship. 
And so it's hard to get your mind and heart. It's hard to connect emotionally with Jesus is giving a picture that's supposed to open our eyes, but I believe also supposed to warm our hearts. And maybe it doesn't have that effect on you. You know, I would want to say I'm sorry if that is your situation, uh, that you have had a difficulty um, with your father. But the point Jesus is making is he's making a radical contrast between a decent, good earthly father who does the right thing and is present. He's making a contrast between that father compared to the perfect, loving, heavenly father. Some of us in the room were blessed with a great dad, or your young person, your dad's in the room, and you're blessed with a loving father. You are really blessed. But even if you've got a great dad, Jesus' illustration is not based on you having a great dad. Uh, Jesus' illustration is based on the heavenly father is so infinitely more than a great dad. That's the point. No one is penalized from experiencing this truth based on the circumstances of their life because no matter who your dad is, he doesn't compare to God the Father. He may reflect God the Father in ways, but he's not equal or even close to the perfection of God the Father. That's why he says, how much more? You see, God the Father demonstrates his how much more love in giving the greatest gift of giving his son, Jesus. You know how loving this father is, who does what is beyond any father? He sacrifices his own son for his enemies. He gives up his son for those who have sinned against him. He gives up his son for those who have rebelled and charged his throne. That's you and me. We have resisted his law. We have betrayed our creator. And that God is so loving that he's willing to make a sacrifice for those who are opposed to him and aren't even looking for him. By giving Jesus, who lives a perfect life, obeying the law, he lives the life none of us could ever live, and he dies the death that we deserved by taking our place as a substitute and dying on the cross in our place so that we would never taste the judgment of God, so that we would never be condemned, so that we would spend eternity with God in a new heavens and new earth and not condemned to eternal uh, condemnation in hell apart from him. This is what God did for us. That's the how much more. It's not that your dad gave you this uh, piece of bread and God gave you a banquet with meat and bread and a dessert to add on to it. No, it's not that kind of comparison. It's how much more God gave the unbelievable gift of his own son. That's how much he loves us. And here's the deal. God gave Jesus for us while none of us were asking, none of us were seeking, and none of us were knocking. Romans 3 says no one does good. No one even seeks God on their own. You weren't even asking and seeking, and God answered your greatest need. That's his how much more love. So if he has done that, will he not? take care of all the other things. That's what Romans 8 says, is that if he has given his son to meet our greatest need, will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is, his love is so far beyond. How much more? There's another group of us for whom a passage like this is hard. Maybe you don't struggle with the image of asking a father, an earthly father, Uh, For others of us, this may be hard to grasp because, not because of that father image, but because you have persistently prayed. You've done this. You've asked, you've sought, 
You've knocked. You've done it for years. Some of you have done it for decades. And you haven't seen an answer to your prayer. And you read that passage, and it's hard. You believe in the Word of God. You believe it's true. You believe it's the authoritative, inerrant Word of God. But, but you say, that doesn't square with my experience because I've asked for decades and God hasn't answered. Or maybe he answered and it wasn't what you hoped for. You've wanted to be married and that request has gone unanswered. You've wanted, you've sought God for a child. You've knocked asking him for the good gift of a child and he hasn't answered in the way you have asked. You've prayed for your spouse to become a Christian, and she or he has not come to Christ, or you've prayed for someone else you love, your child, to become a believer, or your parent, your aging parent maybe. Time is critical, and you've prayed, and you have not seen God answer. You've prayed for healing for yourself or for someone you loved and haven't seen an answer. You've prayed to overcome a life-dominating sin pattern in your life, and you still struggle. Maybe you've asked God, just take away the temptation altogether, and you still find though that there's periods where it's good, that temptation comes back, comes back. You've prayed for the job that really fits who God's made you to be. You've prayed for a financial turnaround, and it just hasn't happened. I, I can't begin to answer the why questions um, when you've made sincere requests for good things. I can only reiterate the promise of the passage, that he's our father, that he gives good gifts to those who ask. And the reality is sometimes he gives good gifts that don't immediately appear to be gifts. And sometimes he gives good gifts that don't immediately appear to be good. But his purpose is greater than the thing we asked for. His purpose is often that we would know him as father, that we would experience him as father, that we would know him in a new way, that we would be aware of our need in a new way, that we would encounter him in a deeper way. Sometimes that's what he's doing. He does not promise me that he will give me exactly what I, ask, what I ask for, nor, if you'll notice the passage, does he commit to a time frame that we put upon him. Oftentimes, God, I need this by Friday. Can I get like the, I'm a prime member of this kingdom. Can I get the two-day delivery from you on this one, God? But he always gives what I need most. You know, I don't want to read too much into the illustration, but I don't know about your kids. Um, it's been a while for my kids, but I've got grandkids now. So my grandkids, when it's time to eat, don't always make the request of what's best. <laughs> they make the request of what they want, uh, but they don't always request what's best for them. But God is a good father who gives us what's best, what will enable us to live for his glory and to walk with him. For some of us, this passage really isn't about, the application of this passage isn't about continuing to ask and seek and knock. I think there's another group of us in the room for whom the application of this passage would be to begin to pray, to begin to really pray. 
you know, one of the easiest things to do would be come to a new, new Year's, you know, message and, and beat everybody down about how bad they are at prayer. We all can feel, most of us can feel convicted about that. And maybe that's you. You've knocked a time or two. That's your prayer life. You knock once, you knock twice, and uh, then you, nobody's home and you move on. But maybe this passage for you is a call to begin to pray, to really pray. Maybe you only pray when things are really bad. If that's the case, this passage reveals that God has so much for you, so much more for you than you're currently experiencing. God has so much more for me than what I know and experience of him right now. Of, of what I would encounter of his person and character if I would ask and seek and knock. You know, it's interesting, prayerlessness is certainly sinful, but that's not the motivation of the passage. The motivation of the passage is not Jesus slapping our hand and saying, stop being a bad Christian. That, that's not the motivation of the passage. The motivation of the passage is, do you know the one to whom you pray? Have you considered what it means to have God as your father? That's the, motive. That's the point of the illustration. That's the point of the asking and the seeking and the knocking. Persist because do you know who you speak to, with whom you speak? Do you know what God is like? I believe if we could only partially grasp the beauty and the glory and the indescribable privilege of knowing personally the God of the universe such that the holy judge of all the universe is called our Father, and we address him as such. Jesus addressed him as such, and we're taught to pray, Abba, Father, to call him Abba, Father, the name that, uh, that a, a young person might call their dad, that we're actually called to address him as our dad. There's, yes, he's holy. Yes, he's perfect. Yes, we are called to fear the Lord, but at the same time, we're called to this level of relationship that, that is mind-blowing when you consider what God is like, that we know him as Father. I've got to believe that the point of what Jesus is saying is that if you knew the heavenly Father who gives good gifts to those who ask, you'd be compelled to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking, knowing that your Father will open the door. As we go into 2021 and thinking about prayer, this is not about pray more and pray harder. Well, I hope we do pray more, and I hope we do pray harder, but it's not pray more and pray harder so that then we'll twist God's arm, and finally, we prevailed upon God. And look what he did. That is a man-centered approach. No, we want to say, God, show us who you are. Reveal your love to us as a father who has given your son, Jesus, for us. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to see in your word who you really are so that we would find ourselves constantly talking and asking, constantly seeking you, constantly knocking, looking for you, just like, just like Luther's dog, I, you know, aware. I, I know we've got busy days. We've got a lot to do. It's not a call to, to, to uh, you know, go off in, in the mountains and live all alone. I'm not saying something like that. But that whatever we're doing in life, there is always this looking, this anticipation, this, this hunger 
Let's be like Luther's puppy. What happens is we sort of look up and Luther doesn't give us a piece of meat. And so we start wandering around trying to eat out of a trash can somewhere going over to the neighbor's house and seeing if somebody else provides something for us because we didn't get what we wanted right away when we looked at our master at the table. That's what we do oftentimes. But God calls us to see him as father, know him as father, so that we are driven by the Spirit to persistent and expectant prayer. Persistent and expectant prayer doesn't come because I've got a New Year's resolution or because in the flesh I'm disciplined. It comes from a vision of the Father who I'm drawn to. So let's make this our prayer in 2021. Let me know you as Father so that I keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking as a persistent child who expects good gifts. From my gracious Father. Let me know you as Father. That, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the greatest change. When we talk about praying for change, the greatest change is not a change in my circumstances. It's a change in my heart. It's a change in my vision. It's a change in my knowledge of God so that I see Him as He really is, so that I fear Him, so that I love Him, so that I pursue Him. And so the ask, seek, knock doesn't come from technique or discipline, uh, though we need Holy Spirit-driven discipline for sure. But it doesn't come from that. It comes from knowing a loving Father. Let me know you as Father so that I keep asking, seeking, and knocking as a persistent child who is confident in good gifts from my gracious, loving Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.